Genesis chapter 21, it's a crazy story, verse 8 to 14. It says when this, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham, his dad, prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah, his wife, just joining the dots for those of you who don't follow the story, saw Ishmael, it's complicated, but it's a son, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, so Ishmael and Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. And all the wives said, that was the only chance you get tonight. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. I want to speak to us tonight. The title of my message is, Let It Go. And I want us to pray. Father, we hold on to everything loosely tonight except you, your presence, and your word. Father, tonight, every heart we declare is good soil, receptive to the nutrients of your word. When they hear my voice, let them really hear your word. When they hear my words, let them just deeply, personally hear your voice. And we declare tonight, God, that you would do whatever you want to do. Lord, we submit ourselves to you, your word, your presence. Have your way that we would leave different. We would leave changed. We would leave sharpened. We'd leave equipped. And I thank you that you love every person in this auditorium so much that Lord, we right now dismiss every distraction, every demonic attraction that would somehow try to eat away at what you want to say and what you want to do. Father, we thank you that you are full of good plans for every person in this auditorium. Let it become real tonight through your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Before you take your seats, if your neighbor does not have Corona, give him a hug or a high five and shout, Let it go! Let it go. Touch everybody who you think looks safe and say, let it go. <laughs> Man. For those of you who have never met me, how many of you were here this morning? Just give me an idea so I know how much. You guys are amazing. Twice on Sunday. Those who weren't here, uh, I'm born in Singapore, grew up in Malaysia, Indian origin, Aussie citizen, married a half Kiwi, half Aussie, uh, speaks like a, uh, she sounds like an American, you know that woman on the ad, Equipa, that's my wife, I'm merely the entree, the John the Baptist, what's coming after me to the women is phenomenal, she is a firecracker, she will, you, you, you will leave changed, one way or the other, if you're a female and you are at Equipa, I want to encourage you, get there because I've never been the same since I listen to her every day and every night. And I'm continuing to change from glory to glory. So trust me, you want to be in the room. She's really amazing. And she's also the mother of my two sons, Zeke and Caleb, 11 and 7. Um, I am a very blessed man. Uh, our, our family, um, 
sort of live between two countries. And I firstly, before I go any further, I do want to honor your pastors, uh, Sam and Kathy, who uh, not only Jemima and I dearly love, uh, we count as our closest friends, as you can imagine. In the context of the worlds that we're all in, what God is doing through Equipa, through 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 this entire movement, really, of what God has started with the amazing Bruce Monk, the amazing Bruce Monk. Whenever I'm in the presence of Bruce Monk, I have to sort of bow in reverence to the to the to this awesome apostle. But really, his son's an apostle, and and really, what God has done in all across New Zealand, our 21 locations plus another 20 or so overseas. This is a move of God, and when you're in it, you sometimes don't know it. But I just need to remind you that you're in a move of God, and you are. Uh, whether you realize it or not, the beneficiaries of a phenomenal grace. So can we honor your pastors, leaders, and the entire leadership team, all the campus pastors and everybody else. Come on, let's honor the pastors and the leadership team of Equippers. It does feel like home. Um, my, my family are three-eighths New Zealand Kiwi. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, look at the neighbor you prefer and say, let it go. <laughs> look at the neighbor you now rejected who now has issues, offense, and hurt. And look, th look them in the eye now and say, let it go. Exactly. Do you know when... Um, when God speaks truth, when, when, when God's presence or his influence or his touch or his reality is presented to you as a person or to present it to me, we have three very simple options. The first option is to reject it completely. Now, I don't believe there's anybody in this auditorium who'd want to reject it completely or you wouldn't be here. You may be here because someone sort of bribed you to come along tonight with dinner at the end and it's pretty cool. And, but you, every person has the option. When God introduces truth, when he speaks life, you can wholeheartedly reject it. The problem with rejecting what God says outrightly is the wages of sin is death and it's going to lead down a path. It's not about right and wrong. Often it's about life and death. And to choose God's way is to choose life. But when he presents us to us life, we have to make a choice. Some people choose to reject it completely. The second thing you could do is you could embrace it fully. You could actually embrace it fully, which means you don't just listen, but you repent. You displace whatever was an error, was in opposition to it, so that the truth you just heard, the presence you now felt, the touch you now received, actually changes your life. At the end of this service, people are going to get the opportunity to receive Jesus or to reject him. At the end of every message, you get the opportunity to respond to the word and embrace it or reject it, to reject it outrightly or to embrace it wholeheartedly. And if you embrace what God says, even to the point of displacing what's wrong, life and peace is the result. But there's a third option. You're like, what's the third option? You can accommodate it diplomatically. This means you're basically too saved to reject it outrightly. But you're not sure you want to get rid of anything that's in opposition to it either. So what you do is you just build a tent large enough to keep everything under it. This is what Abraham had to handle because in case you don't know the story of Abraham, his wife is Sarah, they're very old, they promise a child. Sarah comes up with this crazy idea, 
sleep with my maid and have a child. And somehow she thinks that'll be her child. There's some cultural context to it, but I'm not going to get into it. But the reality is his wife's maid, her name is Hagar. Hagar and Abraham have a child called Ishmael. Now, God comes through at the right time because every time you do things in the flesh, you produce what we call an Ishmael. But really, the reality is now Sarah has a child, the child of promise called Isaac. So what does Abraham do? He has to try and find a way to keep everybody happy. How many realize keeping two wives happy would be tough? Never mind a wife, a servant, her daughter, her son, his son, his son. It's just complicated. So rather, he sort of builds a tent large enough so everybody can live there. And it sort of coexists. Everyone's nice. And there are a lot of Christians who like that, sort of want to build something large enough where they won't reject what God's doing, but they won't displace what it needs to be displaced. And so what happens is you have this coexistence of conflicting realities, and they sort of want Ishmael and Isaac, they want Hagar and Sarah, they want God and sin, they want gospel and their opinion, and they they just sort of... They, they don't like the extremities or the craziness of what it really, really means. Let me give you some practical examples. I, know, I, I accept that forgiveness is wonderful. I, I need to forgive, but I also want to hold on to the hurt because I hate that person for what they did. So I'm not going to get rid of that totally. I'm going to let both exist in the same tent. I, I know that, that God says to, to bring my tithe to him, but I also just don't feel it applies to me and I want to work that out. I love unity and I, I agree with that, but I can't let go of my gossiping friends and I just got to have both. And we try and accommodate both diplomatically because we're too saved to throw out God's word. We love God too much to, to dismiss him, but we don't love him enough to take a step so far that we could actually remove what's in opposition to it. And it's natural to sort of try if you've got a personality like mine to cause things to accommodate. I can't say no. The problem is your yes is only as strong as your no. If you say no to nothing, you're not saying yes to anything. Well, I, I know that relationship's not healthy, but I feel so emotionally satisfied sometimes. Uh, I know it's wrong to do this, but I know it feels so right to do it at other times. And, and it's, what happens is you, you develop this large tent where everything's coexisting, and it can coexist for a while, as Abraham found out. Anyone ever had a hoarding problem? Hoarding problem is basically, apparently I had a hoarding problem in the sense that I, when I'd buy new clothes, fine. My wife would be like, Jemima would be like, it's time for you to get some new clothes. I'm like, all right. I just thought she meant she's going to buy me new clothes. I didn't know what comes with buying new clothes is she's going to throw out the old ones. There's nothing wrong with my old clothes, especially the ones with holes in them that are extremely comfortable. She's just buying new clothes with holes in them. I don't get the difference. So she, so she, I go, go, honey, go for it. She goes, thank you. And then she throws out all the old ones. I get mad. What are you doing? Because I just want more and more clothes. As in, I'm not really a clothes person, but I don't mind new stuff. Just don't get rid of the old. I'm like Abraham. I, I just want to have everything together. I don't mind the new provided you don't make me throw out the old. But you got to realize... you. you We must leave Egypt if you want the promised land. And that's why God will sometimes place a wilderness in between your past and your future to make sure it becomes a filter to weed out so that you've truly left Egypt and Egypt has truly left you. That's why the Bible says that for this reason, a man must leave his father and mother and then cleave to his wife. You can't just cleave to your wife and bring your parents with you. That's an awkward honeymoon. 
And yet how many times has any pastor who's ever done marriage counseling realized you're dealing with a man and a woman, but really you're dealing with in-laws who are still in their head, if not in their bed? Obviously not in their bed, but in their head. Because they never left before they cleaved. To, to, to sort of accommodate everything is actually, sounds diplomatically, politically, wonderfully warm, but it ultimately leads for destruction, as Abraham found out. See, some things just don't mix. Oil and water don't mix. Belief and unbelief don't mix. Encouragement and criticism don't mix. James, in fact, says it this way, out of the same fountain flows blessing and cursing. And he says, my brothers, this thing ought not to be so. It shouldn't be that they both come in the same tent. Death and life don't mix. The absence of one is the presence of the other. Joshua, he was so frustrated with the indecision and the, the complaining of the children of Israel. And he decided, you know what? Whinging and moaning don't mix with marveling at the amazing God that did these amazing things. So he gave him an ultimatum. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In other words, you can't keep the idols of Egypt and the God who led you out in the same tent. It'll get a little quiet. It'll get nicer towards the end. You'll be, you'll, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know. Daniel in Babylon. In fact, the word Babylon means mixture. The word Babylon means mixture. And, and yet, he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's stuff. And, and really, every now and then, there's a great example of someone who would just not only choose God and embrace what he's doing, but displace whatever gets in the way. And Abraham comes to the place where he has to decide the, the season for accommodating the world and God. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. That does not mean you don't have friends. Of course we have friends. We love everybody. God so loved the world. But he's talking about in your heart of hearts, you got to work out who you are, where you fit, because it's a frustrating thing. It's, it's like, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold. If you're in the middle, it's a bit nauseating. You're too warm to be cold and you're too cold to be hot. And it's this frustrating thing. Being this sort of in-between Christian is a very difficult place to live because you, you sort of, you, you just don't know, you don't want to go to hell, but you don't. You're not full on enough to bring heaven. It's like, I, I, I don't, I, I just, I just want, and, and that's, and you know, it is, it is, it's a torturous place. It's a tormenting place. And see, Abraham had history with Hagar, but still had to let her go. Abraham had affection for Ishmael, but had to let him go. And you know, here's the real point. This isn't a legalism message. This is a legacy message. It's for the sake of Isaac growing. See, Isaac represents promise in your life. The promise in your life will never fully develop to what it needs to be. Isaac was going to be stunted while Ishmael was scoffing. At the end of the day, the promises in your life will not grow to its fullness and its potential while you have Ishmael scoffing at what God is doing. And while you're trying to accommodate it, because like Abraham, you're trying to please everybody and keep it all, you're trying to coexist everything, it actually gets tough. And this analogy of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac is so relevant that even Paul the Apostle, he becomes this phenomenal preacher and he's now ministering to a Jewish uh, people and he's trying to teach them about the power of grace and how God has now died on a cross himself and now you don't have to perform for him and the people are looking at him strange going, 
I don't get it, I don't get it. And he realizes the frustrating and almost neutralizing effect that their attempt to mix grace and law is having, and it's confusing them. They're not sure what it means. And so he, like a preacher, is reaching for an analogy, trying to explain to this Jewish crew what this grace thing must look like and how you need to absorb it completely and not absorb the law. And that's why he says in Galatians 4, he says this, Tell me. You who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. So he picks the same analogy. I'm just borrowing his analogy. But he's talking about law and grace. He had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his free, free-born wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents heavenly Jerusalem. She's the free woman and she's our mother. Don't take that too literally. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you, want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael... The child born of human effort persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what did the Scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So Paul is preaching and he's using the same analogy that you can't have grace and law. You can't have belief and unbelief. You can't have life and death. You can't have criticism and encouragement. You've got to actually not allow the two to coexist. You can coexist for a while, but don't keep it long term. My question today in 2020 in Auckland, New Zealand, who is Hagar to you? What is Hagar to you? What is Ishmael to you? Hagar maybe represents what you've been intimate with that is not of God, and Ishmael represents the offspring of that intimacy, the guilt, the shame, that's Ishmael. The stuff that comes with the fact that you were connected to something that really wasn't life-giving and promising. And I got great news before the end of tonight. God says, let them go, let it go. You leave tonight free of Hagar and Ishmael so that Isaac can become everything he was meant to be in your life and the destiny, the prophecy, the promise, the fulfillment of God in your life can fully come to pass. Why? Because we are going to have the courage to let it go. Look at your neighbor say, let it go. Say, let him go. Hagar and Ishmael represents a bunch of stuff. Here's a couple of crazy scenarios. Another way to put it is Hagar is the cause and Ishmael is the consequence. Hagar is the cause and Ishmael is the byproduct, the offspring. Let me give you the two scenarios I have seen not only in my life but in many lives that have tried to, like Abraham, accommodate everything. We want Ishmael gone, but we actually don't want Hagar to leave. Like, I don't want the guilt. I don't want the consequence of my sin. I don't want the stuff that comes with doing what I do. But don't make me give up Hagar because I like a little bit of pleasure every now and then. And the challenge with that is the scripture says, let them both go. Let them both go. See, you know, um, last year in our church, uh, globally, I think, the, the guys told me towards the end of the year, do you know, 
we had 7,000 decisions. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. 7,000 in 2019, I'm like, amazing. So then I just started digging. I said, okay, so how many of them, like, had never known Jesus or, like, you know, how many of them were... And really, we found out that even though there were some incredible stories of life-giving, remarkable salvations of people coming out of total darkness and bondage and people feeling the emptiness of life and feeling it filled with peace and love and true stories of amazing salvations, they were also in the mix, we found out, uh, a number of people who got saved pretty much every month. Every month they would respond to God. And it sounded like, you know, wow, at least, you know, would I rather they respond than not respond? Yeah. But what, what we realized is when they started following them up and say, hey, this is what it means to follow God, they wanted Ishmael gone. They wanted the guilt gone. They don't like the feeling that sticks when you've got sin in your life. So they would be soft-hearted enough to respond to God, but they were never strong enough to say, take Hagar with this. Leave my Hagar, leave my addiction, leave my challenge, leave my hurt, leave my grudge, leave my issue, leave my mindset, leave my past, leave my whatever. But just, God, take away the pain. Because he's a good God that takes away pain. And we go, God, take away the Ishmael. I don't like the consequence. I don't like the byproduct. I don't like the offspring of what it means. But don't, don't, don't touch my Hagar. Got to have a bit of Hagar. And, and what you realize is when you want Ishmael gone, but we're like, hey, you to stay, it's, it's actually ultimately detrimental and it does not lead to life because Jesus died on the cross not only to forgive you of your sin, but to break the power of sin in your life. And so he's not only died to take the Ishmael away, so to speak, he's died to take the Hagar away so that the root cause is gone. You know, Hagar might represent an action. It might represent a mindset. It might represent a relationship. Now, I'm not saying you go break up with your family, start calling everybody Hagar in your life, go home, mom, you're a Hagar, dad, you're a Hagar. Stop calling everybody in your life a Hagar. I've got to let you go. I heard the word of the Lord tonight. I'm letting you all go. And then you start playing Frozen on the thing and you're like, let it go. No, don't do that. Not everybody in your life's a Hagar. Maybe you're a Hagar in someone else's life. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the end of the day, the question is, are you holding on to things or situations or mindsets or even conversations or even relationships that are producing the Ishmael and you need to get saved every week, every month? Because you don't like it. Nobody likes the, 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 the stain, the offspring, the byproduct. Nobody likes that. But you know what? The future of where 100,000 people in equippers, new buildings, new, new you know, if you heard this morning's message, what God wants to bring into this net, that we, people need to come in and go, wow. This place isn't just Ishmael free, it's Hagar free. These are normal people. We've got issues, we've got struggles, but we're not just content with just dealing with the symptom. We're not just dealing with the... Because the problem is if you just take away the, the guilt and the shame and you never take away the root, if we just deal with the fruit, you, 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 Hagar's going to reproduce again and another Ishmael's going to come and you're going to get saved again. And so when I realized a number of people in our church last year got saved, but really they were just giving, getting rid of their Ishmael once every six weeks, I'm like, do we talk about Hagar? Now, I didn't use any of this language. But essentially, make sure we're not the kind of person that just wants Hagar on the side. But God, thank you that you're so good. And you're so kind. And we sing all these amazing songs, which are amazing. And because it's true. You know, Samson, you can dance with Delilah all you want. But you can get out of a few things, but eventually this thing's going to get you. Um, 
I thought we have to be nice to everyone. Yes, but protect your own soul. Protect what God's doing in you. See, this isn't a legalism message. This is a legacy message because God actually has in store for you in your house right now is an Isaac that is dying to grow up. There's an Isaac, the seed of promise, the prophecy, the word of God that's growing up. And what happened is Isaac started to grow and Abraham was about to throw a big party to celebrate Isaac being weaned. And all of a sudden, Ishmael is scoffing and mocking. And what the enemy does is the offspring, your guilt and your shame will mock the promise in your life. And so when you get prophesied over the the revival of the revolution hubs and and you come along and and people are speaking life into you and God's doing great things and yet the the, the devil is there like Ishmael scoffing going yeah sure that's good for you on Sunday I'll see you in the car park on Monday and yet tonight Hagar is going to leave your life Here's here's the other scenario and we're getting pretty close to the end so Uh, Whoever that amazing looking guy with the headphones on the keyboard was, you might as well come now. Here's the second scenario. Hagar has gone, but Ishmael's not leaving. What does this mean? This means you're actually free. You've actually dealt with it. In fact, you're not only saved and you know you're forgiven, But for some reason, the enemy has clamped you where you're at and you can't seem to move on because he's still tormenting you with condemnation over a sin, over an issue, over a stigma, over a secret, over something that is bugging you. You have you've had communion. You have you have you've done all that you can. Hagar's left. In fact, you don't even have the issue anymore. But there are people maybe tonight that are feeling the condemnation. And I want to declare over you what Paul said in Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. I want to declare over you 2 Corinthians that if any man slash woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. All things are new. See, if Ishmael is hanging around, Ishmael is like the voice of the enemy throwing guilt and condemnation that even though you've moved on, you love God. There are people tonight who really love God. You've, you've decided to go hold on for him, but there's something holding you back And that's because the enemy has tried to put his hook in something from the past. And, you know, this is a strange word for me to preach when I'm in some, some, someone else's church. But, but I just felt that the Lord tonight wanted to set some people free of both Ishmael and Hagar. And maybe it's a Hagar thing that's attacking you. Or maybe you're actually free, but for some reason you don't feel free because you're thinking, well, I, I knew better. You got to understand, it's easy if I wasn't saved and then I did that stuff. You got a kid, you you know, I was a Christian. In fact, I was in leadership. There are people here tonight, and I sense that you even had positions of leadership. And you've repented and you've moved on, but Ishmael is hanging around. The offspring is hanging around like a bad smell. It, It just gripped you and it's got you on the inside. And the passage of scripture that is going to set you free tonight before we pray is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 through 12. Here's what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Then he says this, let the wicked forsake his way, and you have. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and you have. Let him slash her return to the Lord. And listen to me, God will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you know that he didn't say God may, God could, if God feels like it. God has forgiven you. 
God has forgiven you. He will. If you come to him tonight, he will forgive you. It's not a risk. If you walk to the front, will God forgive me? God's forgiveness, listen to me, is guaranteed if you come to him. It's guaranteed. Yeah, but, but, but how do I know? Because isn't there something in the Bible about if I knew and I did it? How sure is this forgiveness? Listen, is this, but, but, but why would he forgive me if I knew what I did was wrong? Listen. God's forgiveness is more powerful than your sin. Not only is God's forgiveness guaranteed, God's forgiveness is unfathomable. You're like, I can't even imagine why God would forgive me. Well, I've got news for you. The next verse says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, so you don't have to fathom it. Don't worry. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you know, we, you read that verse and go, wow, God is mysterious. And we think it means like God is out there doing crazy things. He's just saying, when you don't understand why I'd forgive you, let me tell you, your thoughts, my thoughts, your ways, my ways. And it ain't close as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's the gap. So don't try and reduce the gap. In other words, don't try and understand God's forgiveness. Just receive it. Don't try and rationalize. Yeah, but okay, compared to that sinner, compared to that guy. uh, No, 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 no. My thoughts your thoughts, my ways, your ways, God says. And so, yep, you're not going to get it. Don't try to get it. Just understand that God's forgiveness is not only guaranteed, it's unthinkable, but we can never, we, we, we can't think like him. You're like, yeah, but, but, but how, but does, does it really work? Will it, will it, is it sure? And he goes on to say in verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but it waters the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to be void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Again, we've used that verse to talk about the promises of God and and that's all true. But you know what he's talking about? For those of you who are unsure about God's forgiveness, will it really work? He says, my word is so powerful, it will accomplish what I please. When I say I forgive you, you are truly forgiven. It will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I purpose in my heart. And so when God releases forgiveness, it is powerful. It is not just a nice feeling. that Because the problem is we are forgiven by people. And when we're forgiven by people, they take it back. Or they say they forgive you, but they don't really forgive you. They just look at you funny. But God says, no, 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 my forgiveness will not return void. My word is so powerful. It's not just the promises of God. It's God's promise that he'll forgive anyone who returns. And that Ishmael has offered you and say, yeah, but I know what you did and nobody knows. One day you can do it Listen, God's word is way more powerful than Ishmael's accusation. He is strong enough. He, 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 he's higher than I think. He's greater than I think. And you're like, man, God, that's incredible. And listen, finally, God's forgiveness is so powerful. So powerful. The verse 12, the last verse says, For you shall go out with joy. You shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You're like, what's that got to do with anything? Long before equippers, long before Wade and Libby and Parachute, long before Maranatha music, now I've lost everybody except Bruce. 
there was this old song we used to sing in church. You shall go out with joy and be led forth. With I'm making a fool of myself. It's a really old song. And did you ever sing that song? Yeah. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you go. I'm ruining the entire atmosphere, but this is the point. I used to sing that song. And you know, we used to sing, I don't know about you guys. We used to only sing that song at the end of the service because we thought it was the benediction. And it's like, now it's the end of the service. You may leave. You shall go out with joy and be led forth. And we would sort of all walk out in files of two because it was the end. But that's not what that verse means. He's not talking about me and you going out and the hills bowing and the trees clapping. For you shall go out with joy. It's not you. It's the word. The word which accomplishes, the word which will never return void, the word will go out with joy. Do you realize it's God's joy to forgive you? Do you realize God delights in forgiving you? And not only when, when Ishmael mocks you and says, you'll never change, your nature will never change. Well, I got news for you. When the word goes out, the mountains and the hills will break forth, the trees of the fields. Nature itself will change when God's word is declared. And when he says, my son, my daughter, tonight I forgive you. I release you from Hagar. I release you from Ishmael. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. See, tonight, in a few moments, we're going to open up this altar. And whether it's a Hagar that you struggle to let go of, God loves you. And he says, listen, you can hold on to your Hagar if you like, but Isaac ain't going to grow anymore. Or maybe you actually have. And tonight, people are going to respond who are good with God, who are right with God. But you know in your heart, there's always a clamp holding you back. And it's kept you from fully committing and from fully locking in or from fully yielding. In fact, you've been asked, there's somebody here who's been asked to get involved in leadership. And you've held back because even though you love the Lord and you're good with Him now, and Hagar has left your life, so to speak, Ishmael has still been hanging around. But the word of the Lord is powerful enough. God delights in forgiving you. His word will not return void. His word will hit you. And don't try and understand it because his ways are higher than your ways. And he says he will pardon you. He has forgiven you. Ishmael has no more voice. He has left the tent and he's wandering aimlessly out there. And you will leave tonight free. And you will leave tonight knowing that God has taken care of not only the issue but the consequence. I don't know who that is for. But there are people tonight that are going to be totally set free. I wonder if Paul the Apostle was talking about, was preaching to himself when he started talking about law and grace. Can you imagine? This guy killed Christians before he was saved. And he's preaching to people. And maybe he's looking in the eyes of people whose families he'd killed. Hagar had left his life, but maybe Ishmael was still hanging around. Who do you think you are preaching to these people? Who do you think you are holding a mic? Who do you think you are coming on stage? Oh, you're good with God, but what did you do to their families? And maybe Paul knew what it was like to get rid of Hagar a long time ago. But it, see, the enemy is a liar. And all that's happening tonight is light is coming down. And you've got to decide. You know, even though the message is called Let It Go, really a better message, title for this message is Let Isaac Grow. That's really what this is about. Let Isaac grow. Please, for the sake of your future. Please, for the sake of your destiny. Please, for the sake of your children and your children's children. Let Isaac grow. But Isaac cannot grow while Hagar and Ishmael are hanging around. Let Hagar go. Everyone yell, let Hagar go. Say, let Ishmael go. 
Why? Because there's an Isaac in your life. There's an Isaac in your house. There's an Isaac in your future. There's an Isaac in your heart. He's a bit stunted, but he's dying to burst forth. He's dying to grow. 